Thanks so much. Welcome, everybody. Good to see you all here. Thanks for the great worship, the band, and tools. Um, so as Chris mentioned, we're starting off a new series today. We finished the series on the book of Genesis, and Nick did a one-week uh, yesterday on the five stones, which he covered three of. Um, for me to be able to share today is not something that I take lightly, and thanks to the elders for this opportunity and all of you coming along today, and I trust that today you will capture in your heart something of God's heart. Amen. So we're going to be looking over the next seven weeks. We assume it'll take seven weeks, but I know these series have a, a life of their own. <laughs> and so over the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at pictures of the church. So we're going to be covering the church as a family, which I'll do today, the church as a body, a bride, a flock, a temple, an army, and branches of a vine. So it's slightly different, this series, at least my, what I'm sharing today will be, because I'm showing you a picture. So I heard this a little while back. Somebody said that when a person works in the bank, they, they are given notes. They are given the real note, a real note, and it's a genuine note. They are taught how to notice a counterfeit. But in being shown how to notice a counterfeit, they taught what is in the real note. It's got a watermark. It's got this piece that runs through it. If you hold it up, you can see this, and a whole lot of things that I'm not sure of, all of them. But they are not telling them, watch for this, watch for that. They're saying, this is what the real thing looks like. And so I'm hoping that as we share from the Word of God today, that you will see what church as a family looks like, that we'll be holding up a picture that you can look at and say, this is what the church family looks like. Amen. Good. How many of you thought I was going to give this money away today? Yeah, it is. You've got to have faith. <laughs> you can give it back to me afterwards. <laughs> no, you can have it, Tools. I'm serious. It's difficult to define what a Christian is without ending up talking about the church. Think about it. If you're an orphan and you, you, you get adopted, your parents adopt you. You don't adopt them. I know sometimes we wish we'd had different parents, but your adoptive parents have a name. Let's say they are called Smith. And you now, you go with that family and you now attend the Smith family dinners. They don't adopt you. And so, okay, the kids, we're having a family dinner. You stay in your room, and the rest of us will go to dinner. You now become a smith, and you start going to school as a smith. You carry that surname. And when, they call, when the teacher calls out at attendance smith, you raise your hand, like your brother did before you and like your sister will do after you, because you are now a smith. Everybody says you are now called smith. But we are not called smith. We are called Christians, Named after the one who died for us, Christ, which Christian means Christ-like one. And so as we become Christ-like, there are things that happen in our lives. And the main thing is that God has adopted us. Ephesians 1 verse 5 says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure now, you're part of the whole family of God. You're part of the whole family of God. If, um, Hebrews 2 verse 11 says, The one who makes men holy and those who are made holy 
are of the same family. I mean, just let that sink in. The one who made us holy and the ones who are made holy, talking about the church, are now one family. Isn't that great? Now, when we talk about this, this family of the church, Christ's family, it's not a dysfunctional family. And you may have a picture of a dysfunctional family, but God wants this perfect family. He's calling us into fellowship with His Son. He's called us to have fellowship with His Son and to have fellowship with the whole church. And it's, sometimes it's not a polite or a formal fellowship. Sometimes it's great, but sometimes there are things that um, people that hold us to account and pull us right. I love that scripture, which um, we don't like to share these days. It says that folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And how do you get rid of it? With the rod of correction. <laughs> people don't like that scripture today. Anyway. So you cannot say that I'm not part of the family. As a believer, as a Christian, it's difficult to say I'm not part of the family. And, and Paul uses this analogy in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 21. He says, the I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. So in short, it's impossible for us to talk about what is a Christian what does it mean to be part of the body of Christ? What does it mean to belong to the family of Christ without talking about the church? And so as we go through the next seven weeks, we're going to talk about these pictures, and we're going to see these pictures, the church as a family, the church as an army, a bride, a flock, a body, a temple, and branches of the vine. So the church, as we see, is not really a place, but it's the people of God. It's the people of God. That is what the churches. When a person becomes a Christian, he doesn't just join a local church because it's, um, it's a good habit to grow in spiritual maturity, but he joins the local church because it's an expression of what Christ has made him. He is a member of the body of Christ, and so he joins a local church, and that means that he is united to Christ and united to other Christians. And there is a universal union, and when I talk about the universal church, I'm not talking about the one in town. I'm talking about a global church. Don't get me wrong, okay? But this global church, this universal union, is given a living and breathing existence in the local church. That's how we find out who we are. There is... Some theologians have used this distinction, distinction between the universal church and the local church, and the, the local church where we hear the word preached and we, we do baptism and we do communion in the local church. And there's a, a relationship, as some theologians have said, between the righteousness that we get by receiving Christ and the continued righteousness that we have as we grow in believers. Um, Paul references the local church as um, the church in Galatia, or he says to the church in Corinth, and he talks, about, he talks about that kind of local church. So what I want us to look at here is this relationship between the local church and the global church. I want to stop calling it a universal church. <laughs> so this part here is a little bit intense, but just it's very important, so just stay on board. So as we, as we have this righteousness that Christ gives us when we are saved, there is another righteousness that we are working out in our own lives. And if we can relate that between 
the global church and the local church. Okay, so as important as it is to, be, to give our lives to Christ, to have that righteousness, it's equally as important to belong to a local church as it is for us to live out our righteousness. Honestly, if people say, listen, um, I gave my life to Christ and now I can just live like I want, I've got his righteousness, I can do what I want, really, then we have to question, did they ever really give their life to Christ? Because when you give your life to Christ and you love him, you want to become like the person you love, like the one you love. Have I got that? And there's a couple of um, verses, you can just write them down. We see this in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 to 18, Romans 8, verse 5 to 14, and James chapter 2, verse 14 15. I'm not going to go through them now. So once we commit ourselves to the local body, there is a natural outcome. And as we grow in Christ, we start to become Christ-like. And if we are serious in our walk with the Lord, there will be, you'll, you'll see growth in somebody. And, and I can see growth in people, and I won't mention any names, but um, I can see, and I just love it. I love to sometimes lie in bed at night and think about a specific person. I think of the journey that God is taking them on, of his goodness and his kindness that he's poured out onto them. But at the same token, by the same token, they are responding to his righteousness. They are doing something with it. They are acting in faith, and they're saying, Lord, I, I, I feel your call. I know I need to be doing this or that, and they start to grow in righteousness. So this is what Hebrews 10, verse 23 to 27 says, and it's quite a hard verse to listen to. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How do we spur one another on to love and good deeds if we're not part of the family? We have to be part of the family to do that. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Sure, it's quite a hard scripture. So we see two things happening here, that we're called to meet together and we're called to grow in righteousness. As we meet together, we spur one another on to love and good deeds. That's how the growth happens. Amen. Are you with me? So if our commitment to Christ is authentic, there will be a translation of that into our lifestyles, into our lifestyles. We won't be people that talk one way on Sunday. Come Monday, our language is completely different. Or act one way on Sunday, and on Monday, our actions are completely different. Have you got the point? Good. So, as we gather together as a local church, as a family, we need one another. We need one another. We need somebody to come to us and say, listen, Dave, what you said the other day was not helpful. What you did the other day was not helpful. The way you spoke to that person was really. We don't like those things, but that's what a family does. And by the same token, the family needs us. You know, it doesn't help us if we um, sit here and we don't, we're not happy about something that somebody's doing and we tell everybody else and not them. That's called 
gossip. And you know, there was a lady that... Um, <laughs> there was a lady that went to her neighbor and she said, listen, my pastor said I must not repeat gossip, so listen carefully the first time. As we exercise love and good deeds toward one another, we demonstrate in real life what God has reconciled us to be, what He's called us to Himself to be. We demonstrate it to the world. We, we demonstrate that we have changed, not because we just come to church and we pray before meals and we give some of our offering to the church, some of our finances to the church, and um, listen to Christian music but because we love one another and we, we see the person who might not be that lovable and we love him and we forgive and we, we walk alongside those people that sometimes might irritate us and we learn to put on Christ and to be kind and to be loving and not to be easily angered. You know that many times we are, are most easily angered by the people we love most and I think it's a tragedy and we see that in church, we get irritable with people because somebody did something. You know that guy, he just rubs me up the wrong way. Or tools, you know, he sings so loud into that microphone. <laughs> I'm just joking. But I'm giving you an example. And so by doing these things, the hard yards, by doing the hard yards in the family, really tells the world, gee, the world, gee these guys are committed. They are committed to one another. They love one another. They enjoy being together, not just when, it's, when everything's great. We lay down our lives for one another. Together, we, we display the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world as a family, as a family. So imagine going to a rugby match, Kings Park, Sharks against the Bulls, and you've got a ticket. But the problem is that your good friend who's a big Blue Bull supporter, he bought your tickets. And he got you a jersey to wear to the game. And you go and sit with all the Blue Bulls fans. You know what I'm talking about, James? All the Blue Bulls fans. And now you, here you are. You're a Shark supporter, but you're dressed up like a Blue Bull. And what happens when the Sharks score? You're kind of like, yeah, I'm so pleased. And then the blue bulls score, and you've got to jump up and raise your hands and shout for joy, but inside you just hate it. And maybe that's what's happened today. You may have come along to church today, and you've dressed in your church uniform. But as the worship was going on, you're like, oh, I just can't raise my hands. You're wearing the uniform, but you're like, you know what, I'm just here, and I don't really want to be here. I want to be somewhere else. My prayer is that God would really just touch your heart, that you would put on this uniform that, that, and that Christ would do an inside work. When we join this local church, it's stirring us up that, that we will start to love the blue bulls. I know it's hard. But we can't, just, we can't just let our hearts, we can't just let our outfit look like we're part of the team. God wants us to be part of the team. We can't just join this great family and say, you know what, when things are going well, then I'm part of the family. But when things are going wrong, I'm out of here. I'm not coming to church because I'm a little bit offended, and I'm not coming back because Nick said or somebody preached, and they said this, and I disagree with that, and so I'm taking a couple of weeks off. No, we are here. We're part of this family. We're part of this family.
Amen. Paul mentions in his letters as he's teaching the, the, the early believers through his epistles, his letters, that they must act a certain way, and he used the words one another over a hundred times in his letters, and many times love one another, bear with one another, you're a family, we are a family. So God requires us to love one another, and there's a great example of this found in, Ephesians, in Revelation chapter 2 to the church at Ephesus. So the church at Ephesus, they were reprimanded, they were doing a whole lot of things, but they didn't, they'd lost their first love. They'd lost their first love. What were they doing? They were wearing their uniform, but they just weren't, their hearts weren't in it. And I encourage you today that we cannot just wear the uniform. Our, our, our hearts need to be in this. And if we look at John chapter 15, I'm reading from verse 9, it should come up there. This is Jesus speaking, and he's saying this, I have loved you even as the Father has, has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments... You remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love, love, I've told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Remember the adoption? I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. This is my command. Love each other. It's a command. It's a command. And this church in Ephesus, Ephesus they were reprimanded because they had lost that first love. So what does this mean? It means that our connection with God depends on our relationship with one another. When, when I was preparing this message and I was going over it with Robin, she said to me, Yo, you need to explain that point. <laughs> our connection with God depends on our relationship with one another. So let me give you another verse. 1 John 3 verse 10. So now we can tell we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. So John doesn't mince his words here. <laughs> There's a line in the sand. Anyone who does not live righteously, remember I spoke about it, and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Sure. It's quite tough. So if you picture the cross, there's a beam going this way and there's a beam going this way. The one holds up the other one. But the cross piece is important. Otherwise, it's not a cross. There's a relationship with one another. There's a relationship with God. We need to have both. So how can we tell who really loves God? Those who do not live righteously. Now, don't get confused between the righteousness that comes from Christ. We have that salvation. Our righteousness that gets us to heaven is not a work that we do. But what we do is we start to outwork that thing, and we take those steps to be Christ-like. Why? Because we love Him. And we do it by, on, our own on our own sometimes. We wear T-shirts of the teams that we love or the people that we love. I mean, people go and pay multi-million dollar companies to advertise for them. I don't know how that works. But anyway, it does. 
all the Man United fans said amen. <laughs> so, by seeing those who love their brothers, by seeing those who love their brothers, we can't just wear that uniform. You know, in Isaiah chapter 1, you can have a look at it, um, the Lord actually says, I'm sick of your pomp and your ceremony. I want you to care for one another. I want you to love one another. Don't come to me with all these sacrifices. Care for one another. In Isaiah 58, the fast that God requires, care for one another, love one another. If you abide in me, Jesus says, there will be fruit. And um, in John chapter 17, part of the same, same portion, we see Jesus closing this, this, um, this teaching with prayer. And it's just before he's betrayed, arrested, denied, questioned, and crucified. And it's a very serious time. And he gets together and he prays, and, he, and, and we can listen in on this prayer. And um, it's a, there's just this honesty to this prayer. You know, I just love it when people, people pray honestly. I love it at the prayer meeting. You know, there's a lot of the same people that pray at the prayer meeting. But from time to time, somebody will come up and just pray this honest prayer, and I just love it. I just love hearing that prayer that just come from the heart. I mean, you know, sometimes you've, you've prayed for a long time, you even get your prayers to rhyme. But I don't know if that pleases the Lord. <laughs> I think that's what the Pharisees did. So let's see how Jesus prays. And I'm reading from John 17 from verse 20. Jesus is saying this, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may, may they be in, in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you're in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. I mean, this is for us, for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us right here today, for all who will ever believe that we would be one. Jesus is praying for the local church. He's praying for us as believers. Yes, he's praying for the believers worldwide, but how do we show that love to one another right here in the local church? You know that people use the disunity in the church as a reason that they don't believe. They will say, yeah, but you guys say this and that church. Why are there so many churches? There are different reasons for that. But as a local church, we need to show the world this incredible love that we have. You know, it's, it always amazes me when we go on a trip to the other side of the world and we meet believers of different cultures in a different nation. And as we meet them, there is this coming together. Why? Because we have the same spirit. But as fantastic as that is, it is right here in the local church that our relationships are really tested. Not globally with people we don't even know. You know, you can chat to them on Zoom or something and look, this guy's irritating me now. And I've lost the connection, I'm sorry. But those people that might have a bad habit and you might want to steer clear, steer clear of on a Sunday, to, that we can love them, that we can learn to love one another when, when iron sharpens iron. 
that happens right here in the local church, and we're a family. And you know why we don't just push them out? Because we're a family. We don't push out our own children because they're part of our family. We work with them and we help them to become better. When your child is sick, what do you do? Take them to the doctor, care for them, pray for them, do what you can so that they can be better again. When a loved one in your family is sick, you do all those things. And the same thing needs to happen here. Jesus said, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, just as. Not just let's say amen together and let's go, but just as you and I are one. And I don't think that there is a stronger bond than between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And Jesus is praying, Father, as you and I are one, let them be one. I think it's just beautiful. Not just, okay, let's just hold hands. And like, oh, this guy, he's the guy with sweaty palms. Me, thank goodness for COVID. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> we couldn't touch, eh? And when you came to Red Point, this beautiful family of Red Point, did you just walk in and think, you know what? I want to join this church. Why? Just smell the coffee. And look at, got a volleyball court and a, a nature trail. I mean, which church has a cool nature trail? No. We joined because we wanted to connect with God. There's other places you can play volleyball and go and have a coffee and walk on a nature trail. We came here because we wanted to learn about God. We wanted to learn about His Word. We wanted to please God. We wanted to worship Him. We wanted to come to the prayer meeting. But as we dig into Scripture, we find that it's very difficult to connect with God unless we connect with the people. Unless we start to love these people around us, it's very difficult to start to, to, to connect with God in the way that He wants us to. John 3, 13 verse 35 says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by the love you have for one another. So how will people know our love for one another? I remember when I was young, I, once, I knew that I need to be telling people about Jesus. How am I going to do this? And I thought I need to go out and evangelize, but I was too nervous. I couldn't do it. Then I found the scripture. I thought, this is the best way of evangelism. Lord, let people know that, that who you are. By this shall all men know, by our love for one another. And I thought, I don't have to do anything. I just have to love, one, love others. Isn't that amazing? But you know what? Sometimes that's more difficult than going and telling other people about Jesus because when the rubber meets the road and we rub each other up the wrong way, it's very easy to start to be dismissive and to be easily angered and to be impatient and not so gentle and unkind and maybe a little bit arrogant than to go and put your arm around somebody and say, come on, let me be a crutch for you for a while. I remember a few years ago, um, Steve McDonald and I went to Swaziland, Eswatini, on a trip. And these guys had this way of planting churches. They were planting churches and they would find a man of peace who they could see the call of God in his life. And they would plant a church with him and help him build a house and then help him start a business. But the problem is some of them weren't businessmen. We were chatting to one of the guys, and in one of the conversations, this like revelation just popped into my head what they're doing. They, they, they've got guys around this new pastor, and they walk so closely with him that he can't stumble. They're propping him up until he's strong enough to walk on his own. 
And I think it's a beautiful picture of what the church does, that we will come alongside those people and start to prop them up. I mean, if we see little Cooper and Sam learning to walk, we don't tell them, listen, you're falling down so many times, stop trying. No. Homer Simpson said that. The first step to failure is trying, so don't try. No. <laughs> we have to try, and, and, and they need our help. When I watch little Sam walking towards Chris, he's, he's not going over these, like, okay, come, I'm, I'm ready to catch you. He doesn't want him to, hurt, to get hurt, but he wants him to learn to walk. And that's what we do with, with people who are still stumbling along in their walk with the Lord. We encourage them and we strengthen them. We come alongside because we are a family. Amen. Gee, I labored that point for a long time. <laughs> yes, we do need time alone with God. And Jesus went alone, went alone with his Father. And it's important that we do the same. And it's, it's very important that we make that time. One of the best times that I had with the Lord just recently was during load shedding because everything had died. I'm thinking like emergency calls only. I thought, that's no good. <laughs> but I had such a sweet time with the Lord because we have so many distractions that we need to steer away from. So in biblical terms, this is our family. So turn and look at the person next to you and say, hello, family. Isn't that great? It's a picture of the church. We see on the day of the crucifixion that um, John's account, he writes this, when Jesus saw his mother and disciple, the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. At Christ's declaration, Mary and John became biological family. Just a beautiful scripture that demonstrated all that loyalty of a biological family. And God is calling us to do the same. When Paul spoke to the churches, he spoke about, his, he said to the Roman church to help Phoebe, he said, our sister. And when Peter wanted to come in Sylvanus, he called him our faithful brother. And we see at the different writers talking about our brothers or our brothers and sisters or our sister in Christ. That's what it means to be family. He's using family words because we are a family. So let's have a look what it's like to be in this household. It's not just an intellectual exercise. If you have a look at a parent standing on the side of the athletics track and the, the child's running a race. They are rooting for their child. And when the child wins, there's just this deep emotion, like, my child, they came first. I mean, it's just beautiful. And wherever they came, the parent is not celebrating the winner. They're celebrating their child. They're celebrating their child. I don't know if you ever remember that um, TV program. It was called Long Lost Family. Anybody remember it? What? Guys need to watch more TV. <laughs> so there was this program, Long Lost Family, and there's a group of people in the UK. And what they would do, people would write to them and say, listen, I know that I had a brother and we were separated. We were given up for adoption. And at that point, we were separated and I want you to help find them. 
And it was just amazing how they started to look through archives and all kinds of different things. And sometimes they hadn't seen each other for 40 or 50 years. And then they would go to that person and they'd say, listen, we found your sister. Your sister is looking for you. They want to find you. And we've brought you a letter from them. They would take that letter from a person, sometimes on the other side of the world, that they haven't seen for years, and they would read that letter, and the tears would just run down their face. And then they would arrange a meeting in a place somewhere that they could both get to. Sometimes across the world, they'd fly people, and um, the family would walk in there, and they would see each other, and there was just this deep, deep emotion I believe that's what the family of God needs to be like. When we, when we see our family or we see somebody that hasn't been here for a while, get on the phone. Where have you been? I'm missing you. I'm missing you. You need to come back. Can, I, can we have a coffee? What is the story? Restore, 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 bring together. Somebody's hurting. Let's take them a meal. Let's get together. Let's bring them together. Amen. Because these people are our family, we learn their names and we find out their interests. We display this brotherly affection. We renounce any bit of impartiality. And we, in hundreds of ways, we seek ways to say, you are my brother and my sister and I love you. You know, John and I are brothers. Bob's, I'm going to tell the story that you don't like. I'm sorry. When John and I were little and we were at school, he was in, I was in class one, and he was in class two. And um, I got to school one day, and I'd forgotten my school bag. And I was just suddenly devastated. I thought, like, what am I going to do? And honestly, you know, when you're in class one, your school bag is not that important to you. But to me, it was like, my school bag, what am I going to do? What do I need to do? I need to make some plan of action here. First thing, find my brother. So I went and found John in a different class. But during the break time, I found him. I said, John, I've forgotten my school bag. John, in a moment, he says to me, Dave, don't worry. I remember that the teacher told us that today nobody must bring school bags. And I'm actually the one who's got it wrong. You're in the right. You're the only one. I walked off there. I was happy as anything. He had made my day. Like everybody, yeah, you idiots, you brought your bags. Amen? As we read through the stories in the New Testament, the epistles, the letters, we see how we ought to behave in the household of God, the words that Timothy, Paul uses to Timothy. And we see all these one another's. I encourage you to look for them. And as you read through your Bible, look for these one another's and think, okay, am I one anothering? Am I one anothering? Maybe there's things that the Lord wants to adjust and let Scripture do the work in you. I remember John again. The twins, Rebecca and Dana, are up in Zim. John and Bob's his daughters. But John phoned me the other day. He said, Dave, I just spoke to them on the phone. It was so great to hear that they're okay. He hadn't spoken for like a week or so. And I said, so, I mean, it's a week. He said, I've been missing them so much. I've been praying all day for them. Now I spoke to them family. Amen? You see, the church is not just a man-made thing that we can opt out of. It's not the parent-teachers association or the neighborhood watch. 
I mean, we have neighborhood watch. The guy's like, I'm leaving the group. Can't do that with a church, not a local club, because family sticks together. We sacrifice and we go through it. We are part of God, God's family. And because of that, we hold our own preferences and our own priorities loosely. We open our doors. We'll open our hearts. We'll pull up another chair at the dinner table and add another name to the prayer list. We'll give them groceries and furniture and smiles. We will share with the griefs and trials and disappointments. We will look for ways to show love. As a result, we'll expect to have less money, less free time, but we will, and we'll also have added sorrow, but we'll also have great joy because it's a family. In Acts chapter 2, the church comes together in verse 45. Now, here's a need. Let's sell some possessions. Let's sell some land and help these people. It's what the family was doing. In Lesotho, where we go often, the village often becomes like a family, and they'll have a crop coordinator. The crop coordinator will go and tell everybody, you've got this field, you've got that field, you've got that field. This is what you need to sow, because the village needs all these crops, and so we can't all sow the same thing. We need different things so that the village can be healthy. It's great, eh? Not easily angered. You know that all this that I've said this morning takes much grace. It is a work of the Lord. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot do it on our own. We need to love one another. And the warning to the churches in Revelation were that they would lose their lampstand. And at Ephesus, that church was warned, listen, you're doing everything great. You're doing everything well, but you're not loving. You're not loving me. You're not loving one another. You've lost your first love. First love's towards Christ lost your first love. We have to be aware of that. This is the work of the Lord. Amen? So this, this spiritual family is not just something that we do and, and do in our own strength. It's, it comes from a deep joy because Christ is our brother. And he is making everyone in the family like himself. He's working in every heart, every life, making people like himself. And I know sometimes, Lord, please hurry up with this guy. <laughs> Romans 8 tells us that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The whole work of redemption has this in view, a vast family where all the members look increasingly like their older brother, conform to the image of his son, that we start to look like Jesus, we start to talk like him. And so knowing that Christ is working in every heart, we can actually delight in this as the people of God, that yes, this person's struggling and they, they, they're battling in their walk, but we know that Christ is working in their heart. And where we see they stumbling, we, we, as I said, we help them. We grow and we mature. Because of the work of God's Spirit, we start to love Christ's ways. We speak His words. We hate His enemies. We reflect His holiness, and we serve His ends. And the more that people become like Christ, the easier they are to love. <laughs> and what's incredible in Hebrews 2 verse 11 is that Christ says that He's not ashamed to call us His brothers. I mean, how can Christ... Look at us ordinary people, weak and stumbling along and, and not be ashamed. You know why? Because he knows he's working in our hearts. He's working in our hearts. 
He's working in our hearts to form us to become like him. And one day, that transformation will be complete. I don't believe it's on this side of the grave. <laughs> Amen. We need to overflow with affection for our brothers and sisters. Not because they're perfect, but because of who they are. Those children in our families that struggle with, with certain things, they need more love and more help than the others. We can see something in our family that Christ sees. The world sees one thing. The world looks for faults. And we are in this, in this world, we are, we are taught to look for faults. And if you're any kind of technician, you're taught to do fault finding. I mean, if somebody's playing in the worship team, I'm sure, I'm not picking on you tools, but I'm just saying, somebody's playing in the worship team and they get a couple of notes wrong, Tula will hear, what's this brother doing? And he will know that something's gone wrong. He will have seen the fault. And if you are in any kind of business, whatever it might be, you, you're looking for those wrong things. But in Christ, in our family, we are with one another, we need to be looking for the positive things and, and looking for those. You know, in a great team, like a great rugby team, they don't go to the guy who's the prop and say, you know what, you just don't know how to kick the ball through the posts, and if you don't learn to do that, we're going to drop you. No. They play him in his position. He's there to play a certain position. doesn't have to do other things, and that's what we need to do with our family is not everybody's going to do everything like we do. Tula doesn't get angry at everybody here because they don't play the guitar like him. Like, what is wrong with you guys? We are a body. We are a family, and these different, we, we have different needs and different abilities in the family. Thanks, Tools. Romans 8 verse 14, from verse 14 says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received the Spirit that makes you fearful slaves, Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba Father. For, this, for His Spirit joins with our spirit. His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share, or to share in His glory, we must also share His suffering. You know, in Bible times, people wanted to become Roman citizens, and they would try and pay to become a Roman citizen. But the amazing thing is that here is this incredible God who adopts us into his family. He adopts us all into his family, and that makes us brothers and sisters. It's incredibly, incredibly amazing. You know, it was a big thing to become a Roman citizen. How much more amazing and lasting it is to be adopted into God's family. He wants us. He wants each one of you. And whatever you might be struggling through, go to one of your family members. Talk to them. I'm struggling with this. I need some help. Let the family help you. And by the same token, if you are carrying a gift and you see a need, go to someone and say, listen, I think I'm able to help you and help them. Amen. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, guys.